morning. Customer satisfaction surveys are one of the kind of plagues of, of modern life, aren't they? How many people, just a quick show of hands, have had a customer satisfaction survey within the last year? That's pretty much everyone, and that's what I would have expected. Now, how many of you actually fill them in? <laughs> no, a slightly lesser number. But, uh, but usually it's kind of dressed up as an invitation to do this or an opportunity. So um, we all know about it. I get one or two a month, I reckon. Um, well, six weeks ago, I had another one. And quite a lot of them I don't bother with. But some of them offer little carrots, don't they? So you can enter a prize drawer, you know, for this improbable prize that's going to be filled out by lots of people. And I don't bother with those. But actually, this one was from a professional organisation. I thought, there can't be too many people who are, uh, who are filling this in. So I, I kind of thought, well, nothing ventured, nothing gained, and I, I filled it in. Well, imagine my surprise, and two weeks later, I got an email back from them um, with an Amazon code for £60 worth of vouchers. <laughs> now, I'm... Probably you're probably thinking at this point, whoa, David, that's really dodgy. But actually, the code checked out, and um, lucky old me. Well, when I was asked to give this talk this morning, I felt I had the exact same feeling that I just won something. It's, it's just a privilege to be talking on Pentecost Sunday to the church. I think it's absolutely brilliant. And if I haven't convinced you by the end of this talk that it's really special, please feel free to take me around the back and shoot me. (laughs) So we'd better pray, um, possibly for my personal safety. Father, Lord, we are, before we open your word, we want to respect you and respect your word. Lord, we ask, Lord, that uh, your spirit would be really present here, Lord, talking to every heart here, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first off, I want to do a little recap of, um, of the Ascension Sunday teaching from about uh, four weeks ago. Um, so, um, where am I? Here we are. About God's new covenant, or God's new contract with humankind, is it's, uh, it's very relevant today. So, you remember what a covenant is. It's a solemn legally binding agreement between two parties. So you can think of it as a contract, you can think of it as a treaty. Well, Jesus lived under the old covenant, even though the Gospels are in the so-called New Testament, Testament being another word for a covenant. Um, Actually, Jesus lived his life under the law, under the old covenant, and completely fulfilled it perfectly. And then between Easter, Good Friday, and Pentecost, there's 50 days of gap, which is a kind of awkward no-man's land. And finally, we get to today, Pentecost, when God signs off on the new covenant or new contract with humanity. And we saw that, uh, that actually it wasn't a shock because God had promised to replace the old covenant with a new one 650 years previously. And we're going to look at some of the differences again. If you could stick a slide up. So these are the differences. No, no, the one before. 
Or maybe it's the second one. That's the one, sorry. Lovely. Okay. So the differences between the old and the new covenants. So in the first case, the old covenant was the law of Moses. It compelled us. It was a must. You must do this. Whereas the law of the spirit, the new covenant, it comes from inside. We're impelled. So we want to. So the old one was external. The new one is internal. The old one was written on stone tablets and the new one is written on hearts and minds as promised. The old one governed visible outward behaviour whereas the new one, according to Jesus, governs heart attitude, the invisible stuff. So Moses says, don't commit adultery. Jesus says, don't lust. Moses says, don't commit idolatry. Jesus says, don't be greedy. Moses says, don't murder. But Jesus says, don't hate. In fact, he goes above that and says, no, you have a duty to love. So it's over and above. And instead of don't steal, it's be generous. It's over and above. It completely fulfills the old, but it goes over and above. It's a higher standard. I missed one out, actually, last time, because in the old covenant, you go to the temple. The temple is static, whereas in the new covenant, you are the temple and you're mobile. You are the residence of the Holy Spirit. And in the old covenant, it's primarily to one nation, Israel, Whereas the new covenant is to every tribe, tongue and nation. So how can we possibly attain those standards? Well, the answer is only by the Holy Spirit, because it's the entry of the Holy Spirit that's the means or mechanism by which God transfers the outside, the written law, into the heart. So here we are at Pentecost. I'd like you to use your imaginations a little bit and I'd like you to sit with me in the room with Jesus' disciples. We're told it's a house. It must be a big one because there's anything up to 120 of us. Even if not everyone's made it, it's a large number. It's been 10 days since some of us saw Jesus ascend to heaven just outside Jerusalem on Mount Olivet. And his last words were, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit arrives. Well, we've waited. We sat a week and a half, or as much of those 10 days as we can spare in a prayer meeting, not knowing what to expect, or when, or how long it would continue. Though, Actually, some of us wondered whether it might be today because we reasoned that if Easter coincided with Passover, what might God have scheduled for the Feast of Firstfruits when we Jews celebrate the giving of the law 50 days after Passover? If God gave the law a Passover, sorry, um, if Passover was at Easter, then might he give the Holy Spirit rather than the law at first fruits. Well, anyway, we're doing what we were told and suddenly our obedience is rewarded because 
there's a noise, like a wind. In fact, it's more like a gale. And there's this flickering flame that seems to be more fanned by the wind than than blowing it out. And people go to start praying, but what's coming out isn't Hebrew or Aramaic. Père Dieu, merci, que tu as gardé ta promesse. Or any other language, obviously not French. But what comes out is a riot of language. So many. Afterwards, we sat down amongst us and we counted at least 15. And it sounds like Babel all over again, but instead of confusion, this time there's understanding. By whom? Well, we're being listened to, aren't we? Well, isn't it interesting that the first thing the Holy Spirit does on arrival is to reach out instantly to other nations. First thing that happens. It must have been noisy. It must have been pretty public because we were overheard. Maybe they spilled out maybe onto the grounds of a large house. Maybe the property backed onto the busy road. We're not told it's not particularly important. But let's have a look at that first slide that went up about where these overhearers came from. The, the is there any chance you could turn the lights down? Probably not. It's difficult for you to see with the lights. Can you see enough? Oh, you, maybe you can. Maybe you can. Okay, if your eyesight's uh, good enough, you might be able to see some of those. You see this ring of arrows. Well, they all center on Jerusalem, but don't look at the head of the arrow. Look where the arrows come from. So it comes in a 360-degree circle around Jerusalem. And these are the nations that are mentioned in the passage, and they're numbered 1 to 15. So they come from absolutely everywhere, up to and including Rome, which is 1,400 miles away. So what were they doing in Jerusalem? Well, we don't definitely know, but perhaps they come such a distance for the major feast of Passover, they figured it was logical to stick around for the lesser feast of Pentecost. But at some point, all of those people are going to go back home. So the Holy Spirit can't wait to spread the message, to unchain it from Jerusalem, which is where it, we finished on looking at the differences between the old covenant and the new covenant. So the new covenant goes to everybody. And should we be surprised? Well, no, we shouldn't. Of course not. What's the Great Commission? Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Can we put that next slide up? Thank you. So it should be absolutely etched on our consciousness, etched into our DNA as Christians. Therefore, go and make disciples where? Who? All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And immediately before Jesus ascended, he said, the next slide, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Where? Well, in Jerusalem, that's where I start. In all Judea and Samaria, that's the immediate locality. And then to the ends of the earth. So this is exactly what Jesus said. And in fact, God said it again in the Old Testament. 
In Isaiah 49.6, that's the next slide, I will make you a light for the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? It's the non-Jewish nations. That my salvation may reach where? To the ends of the earth. And I guess that includes us. So this is the new covenant promise. And the Holy Spirit can't wait to get started. But for me, it kind of begs a bit of a question, really. Which is, what about us? What about St. Matthew's? Just putting out a question out here. Is mission high enough on our agenda? Or have we maybe grown content with attending meetings? Are we individually taking the Great Commission seriously? So few of those countries on the map are known by the same name now. Some are, some aren't. But the world may rename all of its countries and radically redraw its borders three dozen times and a thousand generations may come and go but the heart of God is still mission because God always intends and wishes to extend his family so will you and I be part of his agenda maybe God wants us to sharpen our focus perhaps He'd like us to reassess and shift our priorities. Just a question. So let's go a little bit nearer home. Because all of those events happened years ago. Two millennia. I have a difficult time getting my head around a hundred years. So it's a long time ago. So the question is, can we expect the same encounter with the Holy Spirit now? Well, yes, definitely, in one shape or form or another, because the Holy Spirit is the hallmark of the new covenant. He is the Father's stamp and seal of ownership. When God gives you the Holy Spirit, he puts his stamp on you and says, you're mine, you're my son, you're my daughter. And Jesus says God will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And here's where it gets really personal. So I've got three questions here. One, can you be indwelt by the Holy Spirit without speaking in tongues? Two, how can you know if you have the Holy Spirit assuming you don't speak in tongues, which I guess would be evidence? Three, is it safe to assume that you have the Holy Spirit? If, say, you've been on an Alpha course, not that I'm knocking the Alpha course, many people do encounter the Holy Spirit there. Or if you've been coming to church for a while, is it automatic? Can you assume it? Well, let's try and unpack those questions a little bit. So number one is a really simple one. If you can look at, uh, change the slide again, we'll look at the next one. So this is from 1 Corinthians 12, and Paul is talking um, to the the church there. Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Well, the answer to that is no, no, and no. Because Paul is talking about the diversity of the church, and he's likening 
the church to a body and saying Jesus is the head and I may be a little finger and that may be useful at times and if you're listening to the tape I'm scratching my ear and you may be a kidney and you may be far more important than that but we all need each other which is what Paul is saying but we aren't all the same we don't have the same gifts and so he's basically saying no it's not necessarily the case that everybody has any one gift and that includes tongues now perhaps at this point you're thinking this is just gibberish it just you know it's it's rubbish i i can't really believe that i want to read you something I want to read you um, an excerpt of a book by, by Tom Hamlin. Some of us know him because he actually goes to church around the corner in Southcote Mission these days. He lived in Southcote for, for a good many years and he's only now up the road in, in Tilehurst. But he was a missionary for a good number of years, firstly in Borneo and then into the Middle East. And uh, this book is just totally amazing if you haven't read it. So I want to read you a little section, and it's, uh, it's describing an incident in Borneo, in Indonesia. On one occasion, I took three earnest and well-educated Chinese men. With them was a personal friend and partner from the UK. We were visiting a village one evening when everyone gathered to worship the Lord. The atmosphere was rich and powerful, pregnant with a sense of the divine amongst us. These people knew more of God than we did. This is the interior, by the way. These are tribal native peoples who live in And they didn't even have an alphabet or scriptures in their own language. We had even observed children blessed with spiritual gifts, praying for the sick and seeing them healed. And suddenly a woman who had a baby at her breast started to speak in a language that was completely unknown to this tribe. We knew what it was because it was perfect English. The woman's face was aglow as she prophesied that God was going to do a new thing in this country and bring in a new administration to rule. At that time, its government was almost completely dominated by Islam. I shall never forget the shock that this lady's words gave to my companions. They were astounded that the tribal people present did not know what she had said. We asked the leaders how she could speak perfect English Had she ever had an education? They shook their heads as nonplussed as we were. The whole message had to be translated from English back into their language so it could be to the tribal dialect, so it could be understood by the assembly. And everyone lifted their voices in praise and glory to God. Unsurprisingly, the following year, a new Christian native party was voted in and the Muslim government lost control and a decade of change was ushered in. So it's, uh, it's not rubbish and it's, it's big stuff. It's serious things here. 
So if we haven't received that particular gift, how would we know that we have the Holy Spirit? Can we be sure? Well, yes, we can. And the answer, as usual, is on the inside of the heart. We will be able to point to a changed life. That's the premier evidence. And the heart will immediately cry, Abba, Father. So you will know inside that you belong to him. And it will be something that you can't define or explain very often. And sometimes when we talk to people and, and about the subject, people will often scratch their heads for a moment and then they'll go, oh yes, there was that time when, when I experienced an intense closeness to God that it left me changed forever. I have a dear old friend. Uh, she, I met her at college. She became a Christian in the very first term, Guy Fawkes Day, so she knows the exact date that it happened. She never really had a sort of textbook dramatic experience of the Holy Spirit, but when you push, she admits to exactly this, and it happened on that day. She can give you a day when she gave her life to Jesus, 5th of November 1978, and that day changed everything inside and out. She has the Holy Spirit, there's absolutely no question, and all the evidence is there. See, if there is a distinct experience, it might be very quiet. It's not always dramatic. So some years ago, I was helping out on a disabled Christian holiday. Um, it was a disabled Christians fellowship holiday. don't know whether you've ever heard of it. Um, when uh, a young disabled woman in a wheelchair with spina bifida, she asked me to pray for her to receive the Holy Spirit. And uh, we were just, it was just private, just as an aside, in a little room. And she, the Holy Spirit came upon her, descended so gently, but her face lit up like the sun. She became totally unaware of me. And I just took my hands off her and crept out of the room. I wasn't needed anymore. I really wasn't. And she wasn't interested in me at all. She was interested in Jesus. And she rejoined the group late for dinner that evening. It was probably an, an hour or two later. On the other hand, sometimes it is dramatic. Sometimes it's noisy and emotional. There's an internal dam cracks loudly and a torrent of emotion pours out. But whether it's loud or quiet... The entrance of the Holy Spirit always leaves this indescribable joy and peace in its wake. Pat's put up that slide earlier, didn't he, of fruit of the Spirit, which was love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, and I've missed one. But that's what happens. The fruit starts growing And the last question is this. Is it safe, and this is really important, is it safe to assume that you have the Holy Spirit because you've attended now, of course? Well, the honest answer to, if the honest answer to those questions of change is not really, or I'm doubtful, please don't, don't leave it there. 
Ask more questions. Maybe you'll want to go home and, and pray. Maybe you'll be in such a hurry that you can't wait like the Holy Spirit. that You rush off to prayer ministry afterwards. But worth considering are, are these points. If that's not happened for you, is there something that you're hanging on to? Is there some sin that you're hanging on to? Because he is a Holy Spirit and he, won't, he can't bless, he can't endorse something that's, that's not right. Secondly, have we fully, truly understood our need for God's mercy or do we somehow still think that inside, well, we're okay, we're decent people and stuff like that? Um, because if so, the Holy Spirit will take offence because Jesus didn't die for nothing. He didn't die for you and me for nothing, for no reason. He died because he needed to change us and adopt us into his family, but he needs the change. And lastly, have you committed to being baptised if you haven't been already? So I gather there's going to be a baptismal um, thing, a baptismal service sometime next month. So now is a really good time to go and sort that out if, uh, if that's not happened for you. And if you haven't been baptised and you, you're fully committed, then why not? It's a command that Jesus expects us to do. If it's good enough for him, it's good enough for us. So here we are. We still live under the new covenant Aren't we lucky? Let's not waste our blessings. Amen. Thank you, David.